Let's pray together, and then we will we'll dive in. Okay, Father God, thank you for um, seeing us through this this really weird and difficult time. We know you're using this time, God. We know that there's not a single virus that has gotten out of your control, uh, away from you and your sovereignty. And God, as we're going to study this morning, you can use trial and tribulation and suffering. And because we're saved by faith, we can actually rejoice during difficult times. God, uh, this is a, a timely message. And so I, I pray that you would uh, speak clearly through me. I pay, pray you would open the hearts and the attention span of people who are at home watching today. And God, I pray that you would, in your Holy Spirit, you would cause this passage and this message uh, to have the impact on us that you desire it to have. God, uh, we love you. Uh, we thank you for uh, today. Thank you for the rain we got here last night and pray for some more here. And we pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, the, the story is told of there was a young man who was very sick and hospitalized. And uh, he had a tutor assigned to him so he wouldn't get too far in school, too far behind in school. But, but the tutor was delayed in coming. She didn't show up when she was supposed to. And during that delay... This boy got gravely ill. In fact, the, uh, the hospital staff all thought this boy was going to die. But this tutor didn't know that. And the tutor uh, showed up and uh, started to try to teach this near-death boy uh, about adverb usage, how to use adverbs correctly. And, and she didn't get very far. He wasn't a very attentive student that day, and she left feeling like a failure. But to the, the surprise of the hospital staff, Following the tutor's visit, this boy made like a miraculous recovery. He, he really improved quickly, and, 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 he, and he started getting way better. And, and a week or so later, one of the nurses confided to this, to this young man and, and said, hey, we all thought you were going to die. But when your tutor started coming, it was like you had a, a new lease on life, and you just perked right up. You, young man, you must have a real passion for learning that when a tutor came, you started to get better. And this, this young man was kind of was shocked and said, what, you thought I was going to die? I thought I was going to die too. But I didn't think you'd send a tutor in to teach a dying boy how to use adverbs. So if you guys thought I was going to live, that gave me hope. Now that's probably not a true story. But it is a good parable on the power of hope. Hope can change our outlook on life. It can help us move forward, look forward. Um, it can help us bounce back. It can sustain us through very difficult times. Hope is a powerful thing. And we have just started a section of the book of Romans, the third section of the body of this book that mainly is about the hope we have because we're justified by faith. In the first two sections of the body of this book, Paul taught us about justification by faith. And what that means to be justified is to be declared righteous. And God promises to justify people, not who actually are righteous enough to, to deserve that, but God justifies those who believe in Jesus. 
Jesus Christ went to the cross because God had promised to punish every sin. And God chose to punish Jesus for the sins of the world. And then he promises to, if you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he was suffering the wrath of God you deserve for your sins. When you believe that, God promises to justify you, to count that faith as if it were a lifetime of behavioral perfection. That's justification by faith. And for, for four chapters, that's what Paul taught us about our need for it and then what it is and how to get it. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Well, last week we started this third section of the body of this book. And last week Paul taught us in verses 1 and 2. I, I only made it through two verses uh, last week, and we're going to continue in the same paragraph. This week, you are going to get 50% more verses at no extra charge. You, know, you can't beat a deal like that. Um, but what, what Paul taught us last week, he taught us about two results of us being justified by faith, if you're a believer in Jesus. And they're amazing, incredible results of our justification by faith. Paul said, if you're justified by faith, you have peace with God, and you can rejoice in the hope of God's glory. Before you were justified by faith, before you believed in Jesus, you were not at peace with God. You were at enmity with God. But when you believed in Jesus, that enmity all went away. You have, Paul said, complete peace, shalom, harmony, a wholeness in relationship. Um, because of justification by faith, if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have the relationship you deserve to have with God. You get the relationship Jesus deserved to have with God. That He deserved from his perfect human life. So that's one result. And then because of the peace we have with God and we stand in that grace, that undeserved favor, that peace with God, Paul said, we no longer have to fear standing in front of the glorious God. That's our hope. We look forward to the day that we see God in his glory. Those two results of justification by faith we looked at last week, and they're awesome and they make us feel good. They're encouraging. But in the three verses we look at today, which are a continuation, it's the same paragraph that we started last week, Paul's going to teach us uh, about another less fun result of our justification. And that is we can rejoice during our sufferings. Let's read that passage. I want to I want to back up this morning and read all of this paragraph just to, so we see how it kind of fits together. So we're going to read Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. We're only going to really study 3 through 5, but, but let's read together. Therefore, having been justified by faith or declared righteous by faith, Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we don't rejoice only in our future hope of the, uh, standing in the glory of God. Verse 3, not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in our tribulations or our sufferings 
knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There is our passage for this morning. Now, we like verses 1 and 2. We like those results of our justification, but we don't want verses 3 through 5 to be what Christianity teaches. We really don't. We don't want Paul to teach us how being a Christian, being justified by faith, being redeemed because of what Jesus did for us, uh, allows us to rejoice while we suffer. That's not what we want this Christianity thing to teach. We want Paul to teach us that Christianity somehow removes our suffering. Like Christianity is the key that unlocks the power of God to make our temporary lives better and better and better. That's what we, went, what we wish, what we want Christianity to teach, but it doesn't. A lot of what passes for Christianity today teaches that. Maybe the most popular American Christian, notice the giant air quotes, uh, Christian or pseudo-Christian or not quite Christian, I don't know, teacher in America today is a guy named Joel Osteen. And, and, and Joel Osteen and his wife, I just want to share with you, they're going to be on your screen here in just a second, uh, the tweets that Joel and his wife Victoria tweeted on Easter Sunday this year. You know, Easter, the maybe the biggest day on the Christian holiday or Christian calendar, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Joel and his wife uh, tweeted these things. Um, so you see the date here, uh, the 12th of April, that's Easter of this year. And Joel tweets, you think it's been too long. It didn't happen in time. So you put the stone over the promise, put the stone over the dream, but you have to do your part and roll that stone away. Start believing again. Get your passion back. And his, his wife, separately, Victoria Osteen, tweeted this, God's resurrection power is still at work today. He can resurrect lost dreams, broken relationships, and restore every area of your life. Now, those things sound good. I mean, they talk about God. They talk about rolling the stone away and Jesus' resurrection. They sound Christian. But, but really, if you dig down to what, what the message is behind those tweets, you know, we, we find it's, you know, it's kind of um, authentic frontier gibberish almost. It's, it teaches something different than what the Bible teaches. Um, the message from these tweets is basically this. God's resurrection power through Christianity is available to you to improve your life today. Just last night, I watched a clip from another very uh, famous and popular uh, current uh, Christian teacher um, who was teaching uh, about the story of Lazarus, Jesus raising him from the dead. And it was this same message that, that this resurrection power that God has is alive today to make your life better. And, and maybe I'm too hard. That guy's name was Stephen Furtick, uh, who was teaching that. And maybe I'm too hard on, on Furtick and, and the Osteens. Maybe I'm splitting hairs. Um, 
I mean, there's really only one problem with these messages, and that's that they disagree with the Bible, um, which is problem enough. I, and I don't, I don't say this to run down someone's um, ministry uh, or to bag on someone or, or out of jealousy that, that their ministry reaches more people than, than mine does. It, that's just a different message. Do you know what Jesus promised? If we do Christianity correctly, it's not that our hopes and dreams will come true and that God will fix our problems. He can do those things. He can fix broken relationships. He does. We should pray for those things and and look forward to those things. But even when we are doing Christianity correctly, even when we are able to live how God would want us to live, Listen to what Jesus promised. John 15, he said, Remember what I told you. A servant, that's us, is not greater than his master, that's Jesus. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. A chapter later, Jesus promised, In this world, you will have trouble, no matter how good you are. Matthew 10, he said, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, because the gospel divides. And it's hard to be, it's hard to ride the hilt of a sword. You're on one side or the other. And because of that, Jesus says, I've come to turn a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household because of the gospel. If you're doing Christianity correctly, that stuff happens. Now, here's why it's so important to remember that Jesus promised trial, tribulation, suffering, even if we're doing Christianity correctly. Here's why. Because if we don't, if we don't remember that, when the pain starts, when the suffering begins, we'll be tempted to believe that what Paul taught us last week simply isn't true. See, last week, Paul taught us that because we've been justified by faith, we are at peace with God. We have peace, shalom, with God. We have an unbroken, harmonious relationship with God that will will last forever and ever and ever. But if we think Christianity is a key that unlocks our hopes and our dreams and our health and our wealth and our success, and if we just do it correctly and believe hard enough, when the pain starts, we will naturally start to go, either God isn't holding up his end of the bargain or or I'm doing something wrong. That's why it's so cool that Paul puts verses 3 through 5 of Romans 5 immediately after verses 1 and 2. As soon as Paul says you have peace with God and and you have the the hope of the glory of God, as soon as he has said that, he doesn't say the the next result of our justification by faith is that uh, our misery starts going away. We no longer face persecution in certain parts of the world. As Christians, um, life gets better and better and better. That's not what he says. What he says is our justification by faith allows us to rejoice even while we suffer. Now, how in the world are we supposed to pull that off? Like, how's that, how's that even work? What's it even mean? 
First, I, I want to tell you that, and, and here in this translation that you see on the screen, it says rejoice in sufferings. And before it said tribulations, you can translate that Greek word either way. I want you to know that what Paul's talking about is not just some light and momentary problems. If it, if it wasn't really bad stuff, Paul wouldn't use this word. He wouldn't call it suffering. I don't, this may be too obvious to point out, but uh, if Paul calls it suffering, it means it's really, really bad. It hurts, and it hurts bad. Paul is talking about the worst stuff this life can throw at us. Deaths, miscarriages, um, job loss and financial ruin, um, persecution, you name it. During those times, because we are justified by faith, Paul says we can rejoice even when we're under excruciating uh, pain. Now, how's that work? That's what we want to visit about this morning. And I, and I want to start by explaining. I hope by the time we're done, you know some, some ways why this can be true, why we can have joy during suffering if we're believers in Jesus. And I want you to notice uh, that Paul gives us something of a hope sandwich here. Uh, up in verse 2, and I've advanced the screen, I won't go back, but Paul just said we have the hope of the glory of God. And, and that is what allows us to rejoice during our suffering. The, the, the easiest answer to the question, how can someone rejoice during suffering, is that we have a hope as Christians that, that doesn't go away, that, that remains no matter what this world can throw at it. We have a hope, a living hope, that this world just can't get at. And we can always rejoice in that. When we, when we get to chapter 8 of this book, some year when we get there, Paul's going to lay this incredible truth nugget on us. Paul's going to say, For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. This tells us one truth about why we can rejoice in our sufferings. Because of this hope we have, if nothing else, when it's my turn to suffer next, the scriptures whisper this to me. If, if God forbid it is me that gets the diagnosis, if God forbid it's one of my kids or my wife who gets the disease, if God forbid it's my doorbell that rings and there are police giving me unthinkable news, if nothing else, the scriptures whisper this to me, hey, Maxwell, you feel how bad this hurts right now? How much pain is that? A lot? The amount of pain you feel right now, it cannot even be compared to the amount of glory, of bliss, of awesomeness that waits for you. And life is short and eternity is long. So that's how the hope we have in Christ allows us to rejoice even during suffering. But there are some other reasons. There's a progression in this, uh, in this verse we need to get through. And, and I want to say this before we get back into our passage. And that is, suffering shows us where our hope lies. Or where our hopes lie. It does. If you think about it, suffering results when we lose stuff we have put our hopes in. And, and I'm not saying this is necessarily wrong. But when we have 
Um, when we have hope about what our, what our babies can become, um, when we have, you know, and, and then we, we lose one. I mean, that's crushing because we've lost something that we put our hope in. Uh, there are some not so good ways to do this. If I, if, if I put my hope in financial gain and I lose lots of money, life can get really hopeless. That's why, you know, throughout history, when the stock market has really crashed, you have people jumping out of build it, buildings. They have lost their main hope. If I have my hopes in acceptance from other people and I get rejected by that person or those people, life can get pretty hopeless pretty fast. Suffering will show us where we put our hopes. And, and it hurts. Paul doesn't say in this, in, in this verse that we will always be happy while we suffer. That would be ridiculous. Suffering sort of means you're not very happy. But he does say that we can have joy even through that suffering because of this hope we have. We could all take turns. If we were in the same room, we could take turns uh, sharing stories of people who have suffered but maintained hope in Christ. I, I've, I've used examples of these in sermons before. Here's one I haven't used. Uh, Rachel and I have friends from a different era of our life, Kenton and Debbie. And Kenton and Debbie experienced the, the, the horrific pain of losing a son to cancer. He was an adult. Uh, Simeon was his name. And Simeon was stinking brilliant. Uh, and he had just become a doctor. He and his wife had a, a beautiful baby boy and... And there he was. He was, he was gone. Uh, and the pain for Kenton and Debbie was unspeakable. I've never experienced, experienced it. Don't want to. I can't understand it. I, I can't describe it. And, and I want no part of it. But here's what I know. Because this family has, has the hope. They, they, they knew even though they had lost the hope uh, of what their son, Dr. Simeon Weltnamer, would become and uh, the hope of watching him grow as a dad and, and all these other things, they still had a greater, a bigger hope. Dr. Simeon Weltmer's death did nothing to his hope. They knew he was in his main hope and they knew they would be there one day also. Suffering shows us where our hope lies. And as Christians, suffering will push us and shove us toward our greatest hope. And we can rejoice in that hope this world can't get at. And that is, that's part of why human suffering can be part of God's grace. Um... It's been a few months. It's been a while. I wasn't recording uh, video sermons back when we studied Romans chapter 1. Back in the good old days when we could meet together in large groups uh, pre-COVID. But when Romans one twenty four says that God in his wrath gave people over to the desires of their hearts. Do you remember that passage? When we studied that, I, I called this or I said this is often called, the, the passive wrath of God. And when we studied that, I said that the worst thing God can do to us 
is just allow us to chase things we think will make us happier than, than living and following the Lord and glorifying and thanking him with our lives. We all get stuck because we're broken, because we're sinners, and we want to live for, for our own glory and our own selves. We start chasing things that will take us further and further from God. And the worst thing God can do to us is just say, you think that'll make you happy? Go for it, big boy. Go get them. Because anything that takes me further away from God is not ultimately good. Today's passage reminds us of the other side of that truth. And that is, there's nothing better God can do for me than allow something in my life that pushes me closer to him. Even if that thing hurts like mad. Have you ever experienced something, most of us have, as Christians, that hurts so bad, it makes us feel so helpless, that like the only thing we can do is sort of spiritually climb up on God's lap and just lay there and say, you are going to have to hold me, Lord. Like you and this hope I have in you is like all I have left right now. We can rejoice that God will do that. He will hold us. He will care for us. And, and our real hope hasn't gone away. And so in my suffering, if, if I find myself rushing toward the God whom I love and whom is my hope, there's no place better for me to be in, in some small way. I can rejoice even while I'm crushed if that thing in this world that is crushing me is, is pushing me closer to the Lord. Now, as we live our lives and we experience those things and we could all tell stories of those times when that has happened, if we take stock, if we look backwards over our lives, we'll find that this progression that Paul talks about in verses 3 and 4 is true. Paul says that suffering produces first endurance. Have you noticed that as you grow, as you age, and I think this is part of just common grace, not even just for Christians necessarily, but have you noticed that when life just throws these, these painful experiences at you, the more of those you experience sort of the tougher you get. If, if nothing else, uh, living through painful experiences teaches me I can live through painful experiences. The sun will come up tomorrow. How many times have you looked back or experienced something kind of painful and have you ever thought, man, if I would have been experiencing this five or 10 or 15 years ago, this probably would have crushed my entire world. But you know, I, I've learned I, I will get through this. The Lord will see me through. Paul calls that endurance. We can rejoice, if nothing else, that the suffering is, is build, building our endurance when this, this painful experience hasn't stopped, but I am more able to, to survive it, to deal with it. That leads to something else in verse 4 that Paul calls character. This, this is a really interesting word. The Greek word dokeme is, is only used uh, a few times in the Bible and only by Paul. Outside of the Bible, it's commonly used uh, as a military term to, to talk about the difference between a new recruit soldier and a veteran battle-tested soldier. The difference is dokeme, character, metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. -T -T -E. um, see, new recruits 
that have never been tested by battle, they've never experienced battle, they're much more likely when that scary situation, that painful situation begins, they're they're more likely to do things that their brains might tell them will help them survive, but will actually make their death and the death of their fellow soldiers more likely. They might run when they shouldn't run. Uh, They might scream when they shouldn't scream. They might freeze when they shouldn't freeze. Whereas soldiers that are battle-tested and survive, they are more likely to result back to the discipline and the training that makes their survival and the survival of their fellow soldiers more likely. And that is Doc and May, that character, that they, the, the soldiers who have been through the fire and done it correctly and learned what to do. For Christians, suffering can do that same thing to us when we suffer, uh, when we when we learn to endure, when we suffer well, that can produce in us a character that even though the situation is just is painful, it hurts, it makes me suffer, it's terrible. But I can respond with a character that wants God to be glorified even during this season of my life. Someone once said, a sign of maturity in Christians is when suffering starts, uh, instead of Uh, concentrating only on how can I get out of this suffering, a mature Christian begins to wonder, what what can I get out of this suffering? I think that was Warren Wiersbe. I'm not sure. That's that's character. When When I begin to suffer and something terrible comes into my life, and I seek after a God-focused, God-centered, God-glorifying reaction. How can I help other people to see my true hope has not been um, scratched even through this maybe unthinkably painful experience? That's character. Now, the last part of this progression Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces more hope. I mentioned there's a hope sandwich here. The reason we can rejoice during suffering in the first place is because we already have a hope. But the ultimate result, at the end of verse 4, the ultimate result of suffering well is, guess what? More hope. How can suffering well, how can learning uh, to rejoice during suffering And to glorify God during suffering, how can that give us more hope than we had at the beginning when we had all hope at the beginning? Here's why. Here's how this works. Here's how hope can be the cause of suffering well and the result of suffering well at the same time. You know, one thing, probably the biggest thing that robs Christians of their joy, of their hope, is doubt in their own faith. Like, I don't know how many times I've heard a sentiment like this. I, like, I believe God will be faithful. I'm just not convinced about my faithfulness. How many, how many of us as Christians have ever worried that, that we're not really Christians? We're not really saved. We're not really redeemed. We're not Christian enough. We're not whatever. I mentioned this last week, but it's still true this week. Am I the only one? 
No. Well, do you know what can convince our own hearts about the reality of our faith? I think better than anything else, this process Paul just walked us through. Here's the way it works. The pain starts, it's a diagnosis, it's a job loss, it's a whatever it is. And during the midst of that, I, I've, I've, I find myself wanting God to be honored and glorified, even during this painful situation. If I stop and think, wait a minute, I would never have behaved like this, reacted like this, before I met the Lord, before I took my faith seriously. If I take stock of my life and think, man, this really, really hurts, but my hope isn't gone, and I want other people to see the goodness of God, even during this time. I find myself running toward God and climbing up on his lap and during this painful time and, and not um, just doing whatever I can to numb the pain. When that starts to happen, my heart can go, wait a second, I think this Christianity thing might be working. Like, I think I might actually be changed because I'm justified by faith. There are very few things that can let our hearts know, oh yeah, I really am a Christian. Then how my heart responds and goes closer to the Lord and glorifies the Lord during suffering. And that's how my hope can allow me to rejoice during suffering. It can build my character, which can give me even more hope because the hope is, I know the Lord is faithful, but I must have faith too, or I would never have responded this way. And all of that, all of that is how and why I can rejoice in suffering. Now, before we finish though, does anyone sort of want to raise their hand and go, yeah, but Pastor Matt, I was, I was kind of hoping that the next time I suffer, I could get something better than from God than like some more hope. I kind of like Joel Osteen's message better, where if I do Christianity right, um, God will take away my suffering. You know, uh, does anybody want to, does anybody just want to say, I, I really would like something better than hope during my next season of suffering? Well, just in case we would respond that way, Paul finishes this little paragraph this way. Paul says, and our hope does not disappoint. There's nothing better than the hope we have in Christ. Romans 5, 5, and our hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Our hope does not disappoint. If it sounds like, man, this plan that, that Maxwell's teaching us about this morning is like, if we suffer well, all we get is more hope. That sounds kind of disappointing. Paul disagrees. Paul says our hope never disappoints. You know why? This hope we have in Christ doesn't disappoint. Because in the hope that we have, Paul says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. This is written in the Greek in, in the perfect tense the perfect tense in Greek is kind of hard to bring across into English, but it, it is the tense that says that we have a, a present and continuing effect that results from a, from a past event. 
And in Christianity, that past event is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that past event, the love of God is continually always being poured out in our hearts, poured out, lavished on us. We are swimming in the love of God because of the cross, because of our justification by faith. When when the suffering comes, we always have the proof that God continually always loves me. He proved it at the cross. And then he gave me the Holy Spirit of God. God's Holy Spirit lives in my heart, not in like the pumping organ in my chest, in my soul. Somehow God lives in me and he will constantly remind me, even during the suffering, God loves you. God loves you. He wouldn't have killed his son for you if that weren't true. And when the suffering comes and I don't say, well, obviously this means God doesn't love me. And I don't say, well, God, if you don't take this away, then I'm out, right? You've got 30 days to fix this, God. And otherwise, I can't believe in a God who would allow something this painful. When the suffering comes and I just climb up on God's lap, because I have nowhere else to go. And I want him to be glorified and honored. And when I see that endurance has, has affected my character and my hope remains even during unspeakable pain, it reminds me that I have a hope that will not disappoint because I have a God who has lavished and slathered his love on me ever since the cross. And my heart knows love remains and love is enough. Excuse me, hope remains and hope is enough. That's our, that's our passage this morning. What better gift could God give to us than, than something that would allow our hearts to continue to have joy even through extreme sadness and hurt? We have, we have a hope that not only lets us know life will be better one day, but that takes root in our heart and allows us to, to stay buoyant, to persevere, and to have hope, even during suffering. And our hope, the hope we have in Christ, will not disappoint. I don't know if you're suffering right now. Uh, I don't know which of us. Uh, we'll have uh, the unfortunate um, opportunity to suffer next. But here's what I know. If we are justified by faith, we can rejoice even during our suffering. It doesn't mean that we're not at peace with God. It doesn't mean God has stopped loving us. If we allow it to push us toward him, rest in him and hope in him, it will be part somehow of his perfect plan for us and our hope will not disappoint. Pray with me and we'll close our time. Father God, I thank you so much for the cross and for the hope that results. God, thank you that uh, you have overcome this world. Though we have not yet, we, though we have in Christ, we still live in a broken world that's very painful to us sometimes, God. Thank you that you have overcome and that uh, you have given us a living hope 
that can sustain us even when life is at its worst. God, we love you. I pray you'd sustain us this week. Thank you that we get to meet at least some of us next week. Um, God, bless our week. Um, Help us suffer well and glorify you, fulfilling our purpose in this world, even if it's our turn to suffer. We love you, God, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, love you guys. Have a great week. And uh, for some of us anyway, I'll see you in person on Sunday. Bye-bye.